When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We love seeing the development of all these series from the news show we're doing with John Watts, Skeleton Crew. But when you look at Andor and you look at Obi-Wan, you look at Mando, you look at Boba, they all do have a different feeling, a different tone. And I think that's remarkable and really speaks to the the serialized nature of Star Wars and how it could be a very flexible galaxy. I mean, it's, it is a galaxy, so there's so many stories to tell that it's exciting to that. I don't know yet. I think that I'm waiting to see a little more as I put it together what that tome becomes because it's, it's evolving right now. It's evolving. Yub-nub alert, everybody. Welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch. We are back with Ewoks on the Brain as we follow up last week's deep dive into the 1980s TV movie Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, with a deep dive into the sequel, Ewoks, colon, The Battle for Endor. Why would we do such a thing? Because not unlike my good friend Cypress Hill, we are indeed insane in the membrane. But we're going to do it. You can't stop us. You can only hope to contain us. And if you don't want to hear about a 1985 Ewoks TV movie, that's fine. Because we also have two guests by the name of O, John Favreau, and Dave Filoni, who are going to talk a little Mandalorian Season 3. Oh yeah, we got that on tap as well. I'm Dalton Ross. Don't hold that against me. Joined, as always, by a princess and a scoundrel. I won't say which is which. <laughs> Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan are here. How you doing, ladies? Hello, hello. I think I think Lauren and I both each have a little bit of princess and a little bit of scoundrel. I think we're, we, I, I, I think so. Yeah. I think we probably split the difference. <laughs> I think uh, we're all princesses and scoundrels, I guess in, in one sense. Um, yeah. Uh, that's uh, of course, if, if you missed it, Lauren and uh, Maureen doing a deep dive on that a few episodes back on the podcast. And we just at EW this week released the exclusive concept uh, art, or I'm not even sure if it's concept art or art inspired by the book. Inspired by it. Yeah, The Princess and the Scoundrel, where you get to see Han and Leia's uh, big wedding, and that's uh, super exciting. Uh, So that was fun. So lots of uh, content there on the the book side. But um, that's not what we're doing today. A little bit later, we're going to play you Devin's conversation with Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau, talking some Mando season three. But we are uh, doing an Ewoks deep dive again. If you, I, I guess I would recommend, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I almost would put this on pause. Like this is basically part two of our Ewoks deep dive because we're, we're tackling both the movies, these 1980s TV movies for ABC. And last week's episode, we talked all about Caravan of Courage. I don't know why I just said courage so weird. Uh, an Ewok adventure. <laughs> everything's <laughs> everything's a little off in this movie. Like even the pronunciation when you say it's a little off, it's all a little weird. Uh, you should probably go listen to that first and then come back 
and listen to this where we discuss Ewoks, the battle for, for Endor. Uh, before we jump into that, anything you guys want to add to Caravan of Courage? Any thoughts percolating over the past week uh, about that film or or anything you want to say about your feelings or emotions before, right before you pressed play on Ewoks, the battle for Endor? I will say that, you know, if you if you liked Caravan of Courage and then you went to go watch Battle for Endor, um, sucks for you because all those characters are dead now. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 start you off. We'll give you a little taste. Let's play a trailer. This is a trailer for the second in the Ewok uh, TV movie franchise, The Battle for Endor, which aired November 24th, 1985. Here's a little taste. On a far distant world of enchanting beauty, a family of lost travelers find shelter and friendship among the Ewoks, peaceful guardians of the forest. But the peace is shattered. An evil storm sweeps the planet Endor, threatening the Ewoks' very existence. Run fast, run! And a courageous Earth child is left orphaned, hunted by the cruel armies of an insatiable warlord. Is the Don't be foolish. Do what he says. It's a breathtaking adventure that soars to extremes of heroism and treachery. There's no escape for you, my little one. But there is hope. A shipwrecked adventurer and his speedy sidekick join forces with the Ewoks. Their mission? Penetrate a fortress of death and rescue their friend. It's a desperate scheme that unleashes the rage of a demented tyrant. From the creator of Star Wars comes a dazzling adventure, a timeless fable of courage and conflict, of bravery, innocence, and unspeakable evil, featuring Wilfred Brimley and the visual mastery of George Lucas. Take a journey to the far reaches of your imagination. Ewoks, the battle for Endor. Coming to your family from MGM UA Home Video. All right, so that that gives you the, the 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 basic gist of the film, and 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 just to to lay out the plot a little bit for you here, it's six months later uh, after the events of Caravan of of Courage, because <laughs> I said like porridge for some reason. <laughs> and uh, good news, ladies, the family shuttle is finally fixed. They're pretty much ready to finally get off that godforsaken rock. Woohoo! <laughs> but there's an evil marauder warlord named. Tarak, who is obsessed with quote unquote the power, as you heard in that in that trailer. Although he doesn't seem to quite know what the power is and what it does. And he has a, a witch-like sorceress named Sheral, who can use magic to like shapeshift into either a raven or a fetching blonde. Um, so that's basically the gist of the film. And I'll say this. I've said this many times before, and I'll say this many times again. I feel like the reaction or response that you have to a movie or TV show is so often defined by the expectations you had going in. And Caravan of Courage was so freaking bad. It was so nonsensical. And as Devin so eloquently put it, not like fun bad, but just bad bad, just super boring bad that I was really not looking forward to watching this at all. And I was really just kind of bummed about it, to be honest about it. Uh, but ladies, maybe it's just those low expectations, but this this is the Citizen Kane of 1980s Ewok TV movies. <laughs> this is like, and, and, and I'll just start saying this and we'll start to get into it. But 
I mean, the best part about it is the fact that the worst part about the first movie, Caravan of Courage, was this this kid Mace, this teenager Mace, who was just an insufferable son of a bitch. This guy, <laughs> just a total jabroni, complaining to the Ewoks all the time, never thanking them, literally firing a gun at them. He's killed in like the first five minutes. I mean, they basically <laughs> they basically there. kill off the entire family, and we'll get into that. But they kill Mace. That is the key thing of this movie. It's like basically if they were shooting a pilot of a TV show, they watched the pilot and said, this guy sucks. We got to recast. That's essentially what they did. They just got rid of him completely. And I was so happy from that point forward. Lauren, your thoughts when Mace bit the dust? Well, okay, so I have seen the Battle for Endor multiple times, including the uh, its actual premiere in 1986, I think. I'm 85? 85. 85. So that wasn't too much of a surprise for me because I do remember most of this movie being just Sindel and Wicket and Wilford Brimley, of course. Uh, so that wasn't too much of a surprise for me. But, you know, I thought it was interesting that they recast the father to the guy from the Breakfast Club, Paul Gleason, and they killed him immediately. But yeah, I have warm memories of this from when I was a child. So, and this is the one I watched more than I watched Caravan of Courage. So, and when I was watching it, I was kind of like, yeah, this is pretty much what I remember it being. And this basically looked, it it definitely looked like they put more money and more effort into it uh, after Caravan of Courage, because Caravan of Courage looked really low rent. And this looked like someone was at least paying attention to like the cinematography and the production design and things of that sort. So this looked like a, this was definitely, I think, a step up from uh, Caravan of Courage, in my opinion. Devin, your uh, your overview, your general thoughts before we go uh, go in a little deeper. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest shock was, oh my god, they killed the whole family, and um, like that. It's surprising in like the first five minutes, Devin. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. like right out of the gate, and I love that. Like the 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 trailer that we just watched is very much like a family stranded on on Endor, and like wh- how will they survive? And it's like, no, they're not part of this movie. They are dead within five minutes, and they are all gone. And it spoils it for you. You basically the dad gets it in the trailer. It's true. I, God bless the eighties when they were just like. This is here. We're going to show you the entire movie in the trailer and you can decide whether Mm -hmm. or not you want to go see it um, or watch it on on ABC. I'm pretty sure this was Thanksgiving weekend as well as was the first one. You know, nothing says uh, getting together with your family, like watching uh, an entire family die and a small (laughs) girl be orphaned. Um, But no, I I think I'm totally in agreement with you guys. This is um, a huge step up from the first one. I still have a very low tolerance for precocious children and like this kind of story. So I was like, this isn't really for me. But um, it's definitely... It has more of a plot. It looks better. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of nonsensical. Um, there are no ferrets or llamas in this yeah, one. They got rid of all out a little the bit. animals. Yeah. There's a horse, but it's a magic horse. And then the witch can turn into like a raven. So I guess there's like birds on Endor. But no, no ferrets and no um no llamas. So that was uh an improvement for me. Although I I love the ferrets <laughs> and llamas. They were my favorite part of, of Caravan of Courage. So the only thing I didn't like about that little a-hole mace getting blown up in the first five minutes is that it was off screen. I wish we could have seen it on screen. <laughs> oh like gosh. I just wanted to like soak up every single second of it, but didn't Sounds happen. like bloodthirsty. <laughs> yeah, he really, he really hated mace. I just thought he was a mild No, annoyance. he's the worst. 
it's sort of like if like uh, George Lucas had made like episode three, Revenge of the Sith, and like the first five minutes had been like, you know how you guys hate Jar Jar Binks? Yes. We're going to kill him off in the first five minutes. Yes. And, and then like, you know what? We're just going to kill every Gungan. Like Boss Nass, <laughs> General yeah. Tarples. Like or whatever, get get all these. Oh god, just kill them all. Oh god. So was was interesting is that they they basically, as we mentioned, they recast the dad to kill him off, and he's played now by Paul Gleason, uh, who was AKA Vice Principal Richard Vernon. He's the don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns guy uh, with the toilet paper stuck mm-hmm. to his shoe. So they recast him and kill him off. What was great is the mom. They didn't bring Fanola Flanagan back, or she didn't want to come back, probably. So they just kind of have her laying dead with her face obscured. Like, she's kind of like, you can't see the face. It's just this dead body. You kind of see her getting shot in the back, and she like kind of, oh, but you never see her face. It's just sort of someone wearing a similar wig. I was trying to wonder about, like, if this was, because this is right before Back to the Future 2, with the whole Crispin Glover lawsuit. If you remember that in Back to the Future 2, Crispin Glover was oh, yeah. not in it. He didn't want to do it. So they they hired a different actor that looked a lot like him and had him like hanging upside down. So you kind of couldn't tell and weird, like, like way in the background. And I don't know if like having a body there, not showing the face, but making you think it's the same person would have counted under because there's a whole new laws written about what you could uh, or could not do. When I say laws, I mean, you know, whatever, SAG after laws or whatever. Right. I th- I think it was more just like the soap opera recasting of the, it's you know Friday it was played by one actor and Monday we're gonna have like this is the new actor and that's how it goes and <laughs> you just move on from there. So. Yeah, so so she was not back but they killed her off as well. They basically they kill all humans until Wilford Brimley mm-hmm. shows up. Uh, by the way, the same year Cocoon came out, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, God bless. It's a big year for him. Big year. It's funny because. Mm-hmm. He keeps getting age shamed. He's keep, like he's he's called old man by like multiple people in the film, even though BT Dubs he's, only he's fifty. He was fifty years old when he made this. <laughs> I mean, he's Wilfred Brimley. He looks seventy. He always looks seventy, but he's fifty. The thing is, like a year later, he was playing a grandfather on a, a TV show called Our House, which I remember watching, where he was like the old grandfather. And now I'm like, yeah, he was like 52 at the time when he was playing that. So he just, you know, he aged into the grandfather roles pretty early on, I'd say. Well, there's a great Twitter. There's a there's a joke that, you know, um, when Cocoon hit theaters in 1985, it's the Wilford Brimley Cocoon line. And so you... Um, oh, yeah, you cross the Brimley you line. You cross the Brimley line <laughs> once you turn like 50 years and nine months or whatever and then you're officially old and yeah he spends the whole time he's just a very crotchety grandpa who's lived alone by himself in this sort of makeshift house and another piece of casting in this i love is um i don't know if any of you guys are twin peaks fans but oh yeah carl striken is the uh he plays the giant in the original twin peaks and here he is uh tarak the the leader of the marauders um underneath all of that uh crazy uh prosthetics and crazy makeup but that was one of those things where like i never i would have never have guessed it was him except for the fact that he's like seven feet tall um but i was like oh yeah i love that guy he's he's so great on twin peaks he wants the power devin yeah. He wants oh, just, the power. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I was like, this is just like off-brand He-Man, where he's, I think at literally one point he goes, I have the power. He does, he does. Yeah. It seemed like this was like a combination of many multiple things that were popular in 1985 that they were just kind of playing off of. So I thought that was, you know, 
<laughs> was giving me like, yeah, this is what I remember most children's programming in 1985 being like. So one thing that was interesting is how they handled the Ewoks in general in this movie, because they made a lot of changes to the Ewoks in the first movie. One of them was the fact that the Ewoks in Caravan of, of Courage uh, is that they start speaking English, right? <laughs> like they start like speaking English all of a sudden and they double down on that in, in oh. the battle for Endor, right? Yeah. Like at the very we first, full, yeah, full conversations. But he sounds like Gus Gus from Cinderella, like the little <laughs> mouse. That's <laughs> like when I was listening to him and I'm just like, he sounds exactly like Gus Gus. Like what's going the on here? one thing I didn't understand, it literally starts off in him and Sindel, like the, the space disco baby, mm-hmm. are like just having a full conversation in English. He's like, we're going to eat soon? Like, hey, you know, like it's literally just like two people walking along in the forest speaking English to each other. But what was even weirder to me is there's a scene later where the Ewoks are being chased by like evil marauders. And so Wicket is trying to get them to like, oh, come this way. And he's going, hurry, hurry, hurry to other Ewoks. Like they're speaking, like <laughs> he's not just communicating with Sindel. He's communicating with the other Ewoks in their non-native tongue in like a stressful situation where you just want to go to the most familiar, easy word. And he speaks, he speaks English with yeah, it also just raises so many questions about the continuity of does this take place before or after Return of the Jedi? I think it's supposed to take place between Empire and Return of the Jedi, which you would think there would be a bunch of Empire people. Like I, I read this in like the Wikipedia page, so I don't know if this is still canon, but it was supposed to take place between both. Well, of then them. how is Wicket not so, fluent in basic like, by the time he meets Leia? <laughs> yeah, or just why aren't there Imperial troopers all over Endor? Because they've got this shield generator that they have been built. Right, Wilford. Brimley's been there for like 30 years and he hasn't seen anybody. Hold on, hold yeah. on. So. Stop everything. Stop the podcast. If you're saying yeah. this takes place before Return of the Jedi, not only why is Wicket not speaking basic to everyone, <laughs> but why aren't they eating Sindel? Don't they eat humans? <laughs> why is Sindel not like on a roasted pig on a spit, like over a fire? <laughs> she was too cute. This makes no sense. She didn't look as tasty as Han and Luke did, I guess, you know. They're waiting to raise her up until she's like, you know, they're like, once you're you're an adult, we'll eat you, but you're so small. Something must have happened to give them a... An appetite for human flesh. Did they actually eat Salak, like Wilford Brimley's friend, who like had the power and died? Is that what happened? (laughs) That's weird. That's super weird. Okay, so that's weird. They doubled down on the speech. They're talking even more. But then they kind of pull back the other way when it comes to Ewok magic, right? Like there's definitely magic in this film. There's a sorceress we know. There's another creature named Teak we'll get into in a minute. But as far as I can remember, ladies, the Ewoks who are using all kinds of magic in the last film have now suddenly lost the power of magic because they're in several battles. There's a battle at the beginning of the film. There's a battle at the end of the film. There's other times they're escaping. And we never see any magic uh, trinkets, no walking sticks, no magic spells, like nothing's happening. Are you saying that they lost the power? <laughs> lost the power. I do really see the influence of like He-Man and She-Ra in this one as well. Because they're like, what are the kids like today? They like magic. They like swords. They like people chasing around for power. Let's put that in there. 
violating all previous canon, which I don't think they thought about at this point. Yeah, this was, it's so funny to me that now, you know, we we nitpick over, you know, which episodes of The Mandalorian, like, connect to which episodes of Clone Wars and, like, everything that is canon that isn't canon. And in this one, they're just like, yeah, the, ma- the Ewoks are magic in this one. I guess they're not magic in this one. Um, yeah, we got, we got a crazy, weird, sexy witch who can turn into a raven. Sure, that sounds cool. Like, um, Wilford Brimley has just, like, normal human glasses on they're not like space glasses they're just regular glasses (laughs) and it's just like yeah yeah sure whatever that sounds good (laughs) are there any other people who wear glasses in star wars i feel like there's some sunglasses later on but they're like weird looking in space glasses and like you know there's i don't know there's like but not not just like normal Wilford Brimley glasses. Not like, like, not the go- like, not that, like, I know there's people who wear goggles right, and things like, like that. Racing. But yeah, I am thinking, like, who else has ever worn glasses in Star Wars? No, just one. Wilford They've Brimley. They've solved myopia. Yeah. He just brought them to set his, his actual glasses, and the costume designers were like, yeah, sure. I think it's just people wouldn't recognize him if he wasn't wearing his glasses because he's been wearing glasses for so many years and various things. And he's got to sell his diabetes <laughs> medication. Do you guys want to get into Teak? Let's let's talk about Teak. <laughs> you want to talk? You want to talk Teak? <laughs> We're talking Teak here on uh, Dagobah Dispatch. Uh, Teak is another uh, denizen of the Forest Moon of Endor that they introduce. Who? <laughs> it's so weird because he looks like an Ewok. He looks like a demented Ewok. Lauren. He looks like an Ewok we saw at the Fan Strikes Back, right? Like an Ewok <laughs> that's like a little bit off. It's like why not make him like much smaller? Or bigger, but he's the exact same size. He's a furry animal with just like a demented smile on his face. And it almost looks like someone in like the prop department was smoking the wacky tobacco and then made up made Ewok. They woke up the next morning, realized, well, that's not gonna work. And then they just made him some new creature named Teak, who's has magical powers of like running really fast. He's basically like the flash without all the Ezra Miller drama. I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> Why he's in the movie? What did uh, Lauren? Would you make a teak? I just always assumed that he was like a uh, something that they made for another ILM property, and that got rejected, and then like throw him in the Ewok movie. It's like we have this full animatronic thing, you know. It got cut out of Willow or whatever. We'll put it in. I think here. you're probably so right. That's what I thought it was. I yeah the I love the the special effects of him running really fast, which just looks like you pressed uh, fast forward on your VHS. Um, <laughs> it's just like literally that's what he looks like. Um, and yeah, like I the there's sort of like a weird rivalry between like Teak and Wicket because like Wicket's like there's only room for one like adorable fuzzy sidekick creature in this film, and uh, I have already like laid claim to that. So I don't know what to do with this, this guy, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a th- that's the whole thing that's so fascinating to me about these Ewok films is that I wonder if I would like them more or if I think they would work better if they weren't connected to Star Wars. Like if you just thought of them as like a standalone, like film series, like in the vein of Labyrinth or Dark Crystal or like sort of the same sort of 80s -hmm. fantasy sci-fi stories that were coming out at this time. I mean, like it has a lot of those same tropes and things. And it just, other than the Ewoks, um, it doesn't feel very Star Wars to me, which is kind of, kind of fascinating. Just, it's, it's just so interesting to me that of all the things that 
you know, people loved about the the original Star Wars trilogy, they were like, you know what we're gonna, what the people were really clamoring for is just the Ewoks and nothing else. Like we don't want to have like anything else that feels remote, like no lightsabers, no other creatures, just the Ewoks. Yeah, that's you. That's Lauren Morgan. Lauren Morgan was their target audience. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. And it's interesting because uh, whereas in Caravan of Courage, my seven-year-old daughter was kind of wandering back and forth and not, she was into this one. She Ooh. was like, she was sitting there and she was going, go wicked, go wicked. Like she was in there. And it was interesting because she's the exact same age that I was when this first debuted. So I was like, oh, I get to see how this was working on me when I was seven, because it was totally working for her. Like, n- she had no criticism. She was totally in the, in the story. She was worried about Tyndall. So I think it just speaks to a kid on a kid level. And if you're older than, like, seven years old, it does not. You're like, what? But, like, it works for kids. Yeah, if there's no... Listen, as, as adults, and if you just throw nostalgia out the window, there'd be no reason mm-hmm. to watch this movie, nor would you find it good. But, but for what it is, I mean, there's no question... It's a much better movie than the first one. And well, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about it. It's directed by Ken and Jim Wheat, by the way, who would go on to write a bunch of horror movies like Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Fly 2. They wrote Pitch Black, that Vin Diesel movie in space. <laughs> uh, and this is my theory, is basically that Caravan of Courage, they were up against the clock. That was the first movie. They didn't have time. They just, you know, you could tell from the special effects. The special effects are so much better in this mm-hmm. film than the first one. There's um, so many more battles. You know, Caravan of Courage yeah. really didn't have any battles at all. There's a lot of them in this one. And yes, they're regurgitations of what we saw in Return of the Jedi. It's, you know, furry creatures taking down bad guys with trip ropes and rocks and spears. It's the same thing we've seen, but at least you're seeing some action. And even like, you know, you could tell they're cutting quarters. It's a TV movie. They're shooting day for night, but it's at least a lot better done. It's not like laughably obvious like it was in Caravan. Yeah, this is like properly shot. Someone has lit this and shot it properly and it doesn't look like someone's just wandering around on a dry hill. Like someone has taken time to compose a shot here. I mean, it still looks a little 80s and low run, but it looks like they put a lot more money towards this and a lot more focus on actually making this look at least like Star Wars, but on a much cheaper budget. But I, I thought it was like the whole thing. It looks like, oh, well, let's actually do this properly as properly as it could have been. Yeah. It also, you know, one of the things we talked about when we were talking about Caravan of Courage is that they just sort of found some random like Northern California locations. They were like, ah, here's Mm -hmm. a hill, here's a grassy field. Whereas this actually, you know, you see the redwoods, you see the forest. Yeah, it it looks a lot more Endor. Yeah, it feels like the Endor you've known, you know, from Return of the Jedi. And it feels, in that way, it does feel more Star Wars than, than the predecessor ever, ever did. Totally agreed. I noticed that as well, Devin. And this movie actually has actual sets. Like there's yes. the, the, there's a, you know, um, Wilford Brimley's down Star Cruiser. Uh, there's a big mountain and cave sets. At one point, Wicked and Sindel are on the run and there's a big stop motion kind of dinosaur looking beast. And they built a big set for it. And they build a big mountain set when they're on this. Li- like, I'm like, oh, okay. They, that's stuff that they clearly did not have time and mm-hmm. money for on the first film, but they had an extra year to get this one ready. And there's a lot more stop motion. You know, also I just, maybe the first director just, you know, had no idea what he was doing, but this is definitely a more polished production. I mean, it's still a TV movie in the eighties. And, and you know, the other thing I noticed that was, I don't think we really talked about this at all. That was so weird about the first one. 
All right. So Lauren Morgan, you're a, a giant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, big Star Wars fan and you're a little kid and you go to see the Return of the Jedi. Who's the memorable Ewok from that movie? Wicket. Wicket. Wicket's the only mm-hmm. Ewok that anyone, that most normal people could name and and recognize. And Wicket is like a total side player in the first movie, right? Like he's not the main character at all. He kind of shows up a little bit. He's not, but he's the main character in this. I mean, him and Cinder, mm-hmm. you know, like it's like their little mission, just the two of them, which is makes so much more sense that you would base a movie around Wicket, which is not what they did the first time. Yeah. The first time it just seemed like, okay, here's Wicket and here's all the background characters. And I assume that Caravan of Courage, there was probably a little bit of overlap with the production of return of the jedi or like i'm I'm not sure about they must have been sort of producing this at a similar time or pace i'm not exactly sure what the production dates were but this one you know it's been like two years so they know exactly for kids what has hit you know and and so i I think they basically are like oh wicket is popular so wicket is going to be the centerpiece of the second ewok movie so i think they kind of understood it a little bit more about what they were writing to and also, I think between the two movies that um, Sindel uh, learned to read in the, she didn't know how to read in the first movie, and she learned how to read in the second movie. So they were, she was able to actually, I think, memorize her lines more. Where in the first movie, it was like they would just kind of feed it to her, and she'd say it. <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff that they were working with here. I also wanted to point out something that I found really interesting that I actually didn't know until I, I watched this and read a little bit about it. Is did you notice that the um, the Marauders? Did you notice what they're writing? They're writing blurgs, which we know as what Queel rides in Mandalorian. (laughs) So this is one of the few examples of something being introduced in the Ewok movies, which are now considered not canon, and then later becoming canon and later like joining mm-hmm. the wider Star Wars universe. It's really interesting. Like these, these creatures, these blurgs, they, they popped up in an episode of, of Clone Wars uh, years ago, but they made their like live action canon debut in Mandalorian where Queel is riding around on them. And so I thought that was like a weird little like, oh, wow, like here's something actually from the Ewok movies that actually made its way into the major Star Wars timeline. Yeah, which shows you that the production artists are just as much of uh, Star Wars nerds as everybody else because they know all this stuff. The Marauders didn't really seem to have trouble riding those Blurgs, by the way. We've been told that Blurgs are notoriously (laughs) difficult to ride. Uh, They did not seem uh, having much difficulty. My favorite scene was where there's a scene where Wilford Brimley, uh, Wicket, Mm -hmm. and Teak are breaking into the castle, I guess, to save the Ewoks, maybe to get the power back. That's unclear. But there's like a big party going on with all the Marauders. And so Teak, who remembers very fast, he steals a huge blanket. And then basically Teak, Wicket, and Wilford Brimley get on each other's shoulders and then walk undetected through a party of giant Marauders. It's total Vincent adult man from BoJack Horseman. It's so great. But then it's again, you know, Obi-Wan used that to get Leia out of the Inquisitorius. So never discount a blanket trick. It is very Vincent Adultman. You know, they're here to do some business um, with the with the um, the Marauders. All right. So let's 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 sum it up here. Uh, Lauren Morgan, your thoughts on Mm -hmm. Ewoks, the battle for Endor, either on its own or compared to Caravan of Courage. Uh, I understand why I always thought of this kind of, I haven't watched it in years, but I always thought of this fondly. And I did 
you know, I, I understand why I made my dad rent this out of our uh, video store more than once. So it works for a seven-year-old. So that's what I'll say. Yeah, I think if I if I was around in 1985, I think I would have like totally fixated on this, and it would be it's a huge improvement over Caravan of Courage. Um, it's not a must-watch, but if you're a Star Wars fan, like there's a lot of really fun stuff in that. And and you know, who doesn't love a great weird Wilford Brimley performance? It's you know, so when it comes to like kids like i think the difference between the two movies is i would not subject well my kids are old enough but when they were young i would not have subjected them to caravan of courage I, I don't think it's not only is it a bad film but it's like not even entertaining it'd be painful as an adult to have to watch it but i would have showed them battle for endor like i you know i totally would have watched them that with them i think they would have enjoyed it and as devin said caravan of courage was just bad bad this is not great, but it's like, it's kind of fun and funny and it's fun, bad. It's fun. Okay. It's fun. Okay. Yeah. I had more fun watching <laughs> this one than I did Caravan of Courage. Although I did have a lot of fun watching Caravan of Courage, just taking notes, being like, is that a llama? <laughs> There's Devin. Wait, it all circles English? back to the llamas. Devin. Sorry. I'm still stuck on that. Devin <laughs> is going to totally George Lucas this film. She's going to go make a special edition. <laughs> She's going to put llamas in. Like it's gonna be like going through like Salic skeletal remains in the dungeon. Uh, there's gonna be like ferrets going through the bones. I want to see the cut of Return of the Jedi where we meet the Ewoks and we're like, you know, Leia and Han are like walking through, you know, the Ewoks treetop villages, and I want to see ferrets. I want yeah. the cannon. I want to see ferrets there. It, you know, I want to see a ferret around like Leia's just wearing a ferret around her and exactly like when 3po is like sitting on his throne there needs to be a llama mm -hmm. next to him like we just we just need a whole caravan of animals <laughs> oh it was funny though uh this weekend i'll just mention this really quickly my i was talking to my cousin who i'm pretty sure i was at her house when this aired because i usually spent thanksgiving at her house that weekend and she i was met we were talking about the ewok movies and she was talking about how she had a soft spot for the battle for endor and i was just like yeah so did i so i was kind of like and she's like almost the like she's about eight months older than I am. So it is really like that age range of like, I, you know, there are probably now a bunch of mid 40 year olds who have a very fond memory of this movie. I can't express how important it is to the quality of this movie that Mace is killed like three minutes into the film. I mean, that really <laughs> saved the entire franchise as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. All right. Look, uh, Devin actually wanted to do an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with Teak, but we did not have the budget to send her to Endor, unfortunately. So Magic. instead, she had to settle with chatting with uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni about season three of The Mandalorian. Instead, uh, we're going to play her chat with John and Dave right after this quick break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I know the last time you guys were at Star Wars Celebration, Mandalorian hadn't even premiered yet. And now you're here with this whole, you know, stable of different shows. What's it been like to sort of, you know, grow and, and, and have all these shows, you know, and, and work on them and see them grow over the last couple of years? 
Well, a lot, a lot has changed since the last time we saw our celebration. It was my first one. David had been to a lot. It was in Chicago, and it was uh, four, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, wow. It was before The Mandalorian uh, ever aired. So I was getting to know the Star Wars fans. They knew me from my work at Marvel, I think. They knew me as an actor, but it was my introduction. Now coming back here to Star Wars Celebration and to see the appreciation that they've had uh, for the shows that we've made, because now we've done four seasons of television, three <laughs> seasons of television since then. And, and of course, now uh, Dave is filming Ahsoka, which is uh, on Disney Plus as well, a live action show, uh, following up on the animated characters that he created along with George Lucas for, uh, for the uh, Star Wars animation. Yeah, Dave, what's that been like for you to, you know, Ahsoka is this character you've followed for, for so many years. What's it mm -hmm. like for you to have her now headlining her own live action series? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's everything I could hope for. I never kind of dreamed of it as I was learning over the years, but it's just to have a character that's come up, uh, you know, over the years with a lot of fans as they've grown up and now she's at the point where we can do this, uh, is wonderful. And to be the same person guiding it across the different mediums, uh, I think lends a consistency to the character that's very uncommon. A lot of times when you're an animator, you, watch your creation kind of spin off and it's taken by other people and you know you never know and you want to take care of these characters because you know them so well and uh it's a really unique situation we're in but uh it's it's awesome there's no other way to put it the simple answer is yeah it's just awesome yeah and one of the things i love about these shows is that they're all star wars but they all have their own tone you know mm -hmm. boba fett has that sort of gangster tone you sure. know mandalorian is is very western how do you describe the tone of, of ahsoka Ha ha ha. Well, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, it's, de it definitely is familiar to my other work when I watch it. I'm like, oh, I, and I was just talking about that. I wonder what that tone is. Cause John, and I've been talking a lot about that and how we love seeing the development of all these series and how, you know, from the, the new show we're doing with, uh, John Watts, Skeleton Crew. And, and, but when you look at Andor and you look at Obi-Wan, you look at Mando, you look at Boba they all do have a different feeling, a different tone. And I think that's remarkable and really speaks to the, the serialized nature of Star Wars and how it could be a very flexible uh, galaxy. I mean, it's, it is a galaxy, so there's so many stories to tell um, that it's exciting. But that, I don't know yet. I think that I'm waiting to see a little more as I put it together what that tone becomes because it's, it's evolving right now. It's evolving. That makes sense. Yeah. And along the lines of, you know, making sure all these stories sort of connect. I mean, how much can we expect, you know, Mando season three and Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew to to intersect? Well, uh, all the shows that we've worked on, whether it's Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Book of Boba Fett, now Skeleton Crew, they all exist within the same time frame. They all exist after Return of the Jedi. So between, uh, I guess you'd say between episode six and episode seven. There's 30 years there that's somewhat unexplored on, certainly on the screen. Uh, to some extent, it's been explored through, through fiction and through extended universe stuff. So there's a, a lot uh, of room for us to tell stories. And there are a lot of characters that are in play because we know who's around at that time. And so in The Mandalorian, we begin to introduce those characters. We begin to remind people who knew them already. Or if you aren't familiar with the other work and you just are coming in through this show, we're introducing them for the first time. And this affords us the opportunity to have stories that interconnect and characters that go from one story to the other. And that creates a very rich fabric for us to explore. 
Yeah, and from what we saw in the in the presentation today, you know, Mandalore is going to be a huge part of of Mandalorian season three. What was it about that idea of you know exploring sort of that part of of, of Din's story that that really excited you guys? Well, we established uh, in in the book of Boba Fett that there was uh, an opportunity for the Mandalorian to be redeemed because he had transgressed against the the against the creed by removing. Uh, his helmet and among his group of Mandalorians, that is something that's not permitted. Now we know that there are other groups of Mandalorians where, uh, they have different sets of rules. Uh, in, in the, in the Clone Wars we saw with Dave and also with character that I voiced that the, the Mandalorians are very different there. And so these different groups are coming together and, uh, we're going to figure out how, um, how they all, the nexus point for all of those communities, of course, is their homeworld from which they're exiled, which is Mandalore. Makes sense. And one of the other exciting pieces of news today was Natasha Lou Bordizzo joining as Sabine. Dave, what was it that excited you most about bringing that character into live action? And and what was it about Natasha that made her the right person? Boy, I I mean, I I, I love the characters that have been a part of, uh, you know, telling their story over the years. And Sabine really stood out. She was a different character at the time that we did her. I wanted her to be a lot more colorful than people had seen maybe Star Wars characters and, you know, dyeing her hair and changing it constantly. But I was really convinced that, you know, I was looking at the way kids are now and, and how they need a character of their own as much as George looked at my generation when I was little and, and found things that I could relate to through Luke's uh, journey. So I had set it up at the end of Star Wars Rebels in a lot of ways that there was a further story uh to do with Ahsoka and Sabine. And so just finding the right way to tell that story, the best way to tell that story, something that was creatively challenging uh, for myself. And then, you know, in live action, finding the the person to perform that character. Um, you know, Natasha just, it's funny, John and I, we look at these things separately, which is always interesting when we do the casting and then we come together and we usually come together with the names and we say, well, this person and this person. And, you know, I would say almost without fail, we're always on the same person. It's really fascinating. Yeah. That's our easiest barometer. That's how we do it. We've been lucky enough to work with uh, a casting director called, whose name is Sarah Finn, yeah, who, Sarah. I, who I met uh, early on through a lot of the, uh, through, through the Marvel projects as well. And so when you have a whole group of uh, casting directors that are working together and understand the tone, the type of actor that we like and the characters, they bring us really, really good choices and sometimes people that we never even think of. Mm -hmm. So much like everything else on this show, it's a partnership. At the end of the day, it has to come down to, especially in the case of, of Sabine, of Dave, to feel that this feels authentic to the vision that he had. And also, we're, we're coming, as, as we're talking to you, we're just coming off stage now from having to done, done a panel where Natasha walked out for the first time in front of, uh, <laughs> in front of the, the, the fans. And, and that really is the most reinforcing moment to know that you, you picked right. Because I think with Star Wars, if you aren't delighted by being a part of something mm-hmm. bigger and something that's come before you, but something you could contribute to and shape moving forward, like, that's that's really what's in it for for myself and for Dave is you get to be part of something, and when you get to you don't always get to hear it directly back this direct feedback from an audience, mm-hmm. and I I could really see how she felt about being accepted yeah. by them and excited by it. So I think that's the one the one thing that really 
connects all the people that were on stage who are of different generations from different backgrounds and connected to different Star Wars that we're all really just feel uh, like this is we're the luckiest kids at camp to be able to get to do this. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I love is I've loved um, seeing Pedro really fall in love with this mm. role. And he, he's one of those people I feel yeah. like is just so excited to be here. What's it been like for you? You know, you're, you're now in your third season with him. What's it been like to sort of see him grow and, and really become such an iconic character? That blew my mind today when he came out. I mean, again, we haven't been at a thing like this in several years now. And you see that like, oh, the love of this character has grown, you know, on its own outside. We haven't been at a Comic-Con or at a celebration, you know, and uh, it was amazing. I think really probably rewarding for him to feel the acknowledgement and and the special moment, I think, for for all of us was uh, him bringing Brendan Latif out as well and acknowledging this uh, trio that performs this wonderful character and that it's, you know, again, Star Wars is something that ultimately should make people feel happy. It should make you feel good. It should be uplifting. And that's what I felt in that hall when people are appreciating everyone. And, and I know it's something that it's just so important to the DNA of this thing. When you think of when you left the original uh, Star Wars, A New Hope, the theater, people were cheering at the end. People felt great mm -hmm. at a time when, you know, you could argue things weren't that great mm -hmm. outside. So I think it's so important to give people this positive feeling that happens through these characters, this acknowledgement of these actors where people can come together and say basically, thank you. I mean, that's all I hear all weekend. If I run that's into right. people is thank you. Thank you for that's this. Right. Thank you for that. And I think, you know, that, it, I've not heard that before and I've worked right. on a lot of things. And I don't know if it's because it's Star Wars. I don't know if it's because it's been such a isolating period that we're coming out of or beginning to come out of now. But we were, this was very trying times. And, and, um, you know, launching this new streaming service with this title that nobody had any connection to <laughs> either one. And people, I think, found a way to find community by watching things together. There would be people that would stay up and, and watch it from when it first was put on the service. So some people are up at midnight, three in the morning, depending on where you lived. And then on social media, they would all talk to each other. They would create memes. They would, they would, uh, have message boards. And so I think it was a way for people to come together, even though they were, they felt very alone. And now that everybody's starting to come out and meeting each other in the sunlight again and, <laughs> and seeing that they all share common things and they, I really feel that there's a, a community here. And we went through Disneyland yesterday together <laughs> yeah. and, um, it was, it was a Star Wars night and it was just, um, very moving to feel how much energy and excitement and appreciation there was. Absolutely. So for my last question, one of the things you talked about casting, one of the things I love about these shows is all the fun and weird cameos that you guys have. Yes. The crazy people. Who is your, who's your white whale for like the cameo Ooh. or the, the actor that you would like? We've been. I tell you, we've been pretty lucky with Werner who Herzog, we've had. I mean, we have everyone from Mark Hamill to yeah. Werner Herzog. So Amy we, we, Sedaris. Amy Sedaris is, is great. But she's just yeah, Star Wars fabric now. Like she had no idea. Now she's in it, which I love. That's right. She's awesome. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We've had great cameos. Is there anybody that there's nothing that I, I, I George. <laughs> George, George Lucas. I don't know. That would be the best cameo. What would you have him play? Where, where Baron Papanoida. He's already established. Well, he would be much older. Well, he would have to be the son of Baron Papanoida or something like that. I don't know. We have cloners for a whole new thing. 
I don't know. I wouldn't even speculate on that. <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine what that day would be like. <laughs> well, he's been on the set when Dave's been directing. So I yeah. love watching Dave and George together. Uh, George, I have tremendous respect for. I've been very fortunate to have great conversations where I've learned a lot. But when I see Dave and George Lucas together, that's like a whole lot. Because <laughs> how long did you work together? 12 years? Uh, yeah, close to that. Yeah, like at least at 10. And yeah, I mean, it was a master class every day was a master class. And so I'm trying to apply that every day and, and pass on what I've learned. I mean, it is the Jedi experience I've had. And so honestly, that's probably my biggest responsibility now is to try to explain to people what George explained to me about why this all works, why it's different and unique from any other fantasy series or fiction out there. It's George lent it a unique point of view. And uh, it's something that we have to take care of and you know, work on to improve again and again and again. So, yeah, it's fun. All right, great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Our thanks to John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Ewoks Everywhere for joining us this week. And thank you for listening to us talk about what can only be described as Wilford Brimley's finest achievement. We appreciate it. And we'd appreciate it if you could please tell your friends about the podcast. Also, if you could follow the podcast and rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be super awesome. Also, hit us up on social media. You can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morg Lore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it again next week, minus all the Ewoks. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>